Happy Easter, everybody. It's good to see you here today. Can you stand a little Easter humor? What do you get when you cross the frog with a rabbit? A bunny ribbit. What do you get when you cross a bunny with an onion? A bunion. Why wouldn't you tell an Easter egg a joke? It might crack up. What day does the Easter egg hate the most? Friday. Have you ever wondered since kids love colored eggs that maybe it would work on broccoli as well? Have you ever noticed how Easter husbands tend to hide the Cadbury cream eggs where only they can find them? I was going to tell another egg joke, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. And, you know, I worked really hard on this sermon today because I don't want to lay an egg. But happy Easter, everybody, and I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, Easter is the day when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that he stepped out of the grave after being crucified. There are all kinds of symbols of Easter around us. We see Easter baskets, and we see Easter bunnies, and we see Easter eggs. We even see Cadbury cream eggs. And if you hadn't tried these, friends, you are missing out how sweet they are. But I want you to think, you know, why, why eggs and bunnies? You know, eggs go all the way back to pre-Christian time. People saw those as, as, a, as a form of regeneration, a symbol of regeneration and of new life. Hens begin to lay more eggs as springtime came. Uh, and, and so they've been handed down through history. Even in the early church, they used to color eggs. Often they would color them red to remind them of Christ's blood. And eggs in, uh, in the church during Holy Week, the church was to fast from eating eggs. Nobody really knows why, but they fasted from eating eggs. And all the eggs that the hens laid that week, they would color them to set them apart from other eggs. And then after Easter, it was thought to be a blessing to eat one of those eggs that had been laid during Holy Week. And how about the bunny? Well, we don't really know the origin of it, but probably it came over from the Germans in the 1700s when they migrated to the United States, and they brought this idea of, of Osterhaus. Osterhaus. And he was a mythical bunny that laid eggs. Now, what would really happen is they would have their children make a nest out in the barn or something like that, and then during the night, one of the parents would slip out and put colored eggs in and tell the kids that Osterhaus, the mythical bunny, had brought the eggs to them that day. That spread all over the United States, and the next thing you know, we got all this commercialism, and we got baskets, and we got that green plastic grass, and we got uh, bunnies full of eggs. Thank goodness we got these things, though. The Cadbury egg. You know, they are so cool. You break them open, and on the inside, they've got this cream that is so sweet, and it even looks like an egg yolk on the inside of it, and they are really cool. We almost didn't have Cadbury eggs this, this, uh, this Easter season. It seems that a guy named Joby Poole, well, he broke into a facility and strolled an 18-wheeler loaded with 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. 
a value of $37,000. The police described it as egg-stravagant. Well, he got indicted. He got caught by the police. The eggs were recovered. Walmart still got plenty of them. I bought these two days ago down at Walmart. And so if you like the Cadbury cream egg, you can still get one. As I was reading this story about that, though, a verse of Scripture came to mind. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, said Jesus, that they might have life and have it abundantly. So today we think about Jesus. And all these eggs and bunnies and baskets and things, they all remind us of new life and regenerated life. And that's what Jesus came to bring us all. Today we continue a sermon series that we started uh, three weeks ago. And we've been talking about the last few days of Jesus' life. We saw how on Thursday of that last week, he instituted the Lord's Supper that we just took. We saw how on Friday he was crucified. And he was crucified uh, to be a sin offering, to bring forgiveness of sins for those who would place their faith in him. But today we think about the greatest day, the day of resurrection. You know, this is a day when we celebrate that the tomb was empty and Jesus stepped out of the grave. Uh, all this whole week and this whole day point to the fact that Jesus came. But I'm going to raise a question today. Uh, why should we believe in the resurrection? I mean, why should we believe that? I know there are all kinds of myths out there about all kinds of gods uh, down through the ages and all kinds of religions. You know, people talk about these gods that uh, were great warriors and had great strength and, and did amazing feats and, and all sorts of things. Why should we focus our attention on Jesus? We know the reality is that Jesus was a real historical figure. He's attested to in history, not just in the Bible, but in other history books. And other writers have pointed back that he was an actual figure that lived on this earth. And I know that there are people that have made up stories about him, but the guys that wrote the New Testament part of the Bible, they were his cohorts. They traveled with him, and they recorded what they saw, what they heard, what they witnessed with their own eyes to bring us the story of Jesus. He's not a myth, folks. He's a real figure that lived in history. And today we're going to think about the resurrection. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use your cell phone, or you can look at uh, the Pew Bible there, page 858. Uh, the Gospel of Luke was written by a man named Luke. He was a physician. He was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, one of the great apostles. They wrote one-third of the New Testament. And Luke was one of his cohorts. Uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. At the beginning of the book of Luke, he says in the first chapter, he says, I carefully investigated this stuff. He said, I wrote down an orderly account for you. And he goes through the life of Jesus, recording many of the things that Jesus did in an orderly account. Now, Luke was an educated man, a doctor. In the book of Acts, he often uses passages where he says we, indicating that he was with the apostle Paul when he went and spread the message after Jesus had died. But today he recounts 
the, uh, the happenings of the morning that the apostles and the women that traveled with them woke up and found the empty tomb. So let's read Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. They remembered his words. Let's stop there for just a minute. I want you to think about something today. A couple of things, really. And the first thing is that the resurrection is possible. You know, we hear stories all the time about people dying, and maybe they say they come back to life. And they'll say, oh, I saw a great white light. You know, we hear about people that maybe died on the operating table, and they did CPR, and they, they brought them back to life. There may be somebody here today that that's happened to. We, we hear stories about people, you know, going into the afterlife and then, and then coming back. But it's different with Jesus. Let me tell you, that guy went through it. A Roman crucifixion, which he was sentenced to, was a terrible death. Maybe the worst death of all. Before you were nailed to the cross, you were taken out and you were beaten. You were tied to a post that was about four feet tall and bent over like this, and they whipped you with a cat of nine tails. It was a Roman whip. It had nine strands of leather. It had pieces of bone in the leather. It had metal balls woven into the leather. And they beat you mercilessly with that whip. Now, for the Jews, they had a rule that you could only uh, give, you had to give less than 40 lashes. But the Romans had no such rule. They beat Jesus almost to death before he ever went to the cross. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him as the king of the Jews. And then they made him pick up the crossbeam of the cross and march it through town for everybody to see until they took him out to the hill called Golgotha, which means the skull. It was a place where they crucified people. There he was put on a cross between two people, driving nails through each of his hands, right behind the hand in between those two bones. They put nails in his feet, one nail through both feet, so that his feet were sideways on the cross. He rubbed against that wood as he hung there with those lashes bleeding on his back. It was terrible. You actually don't die from bleeding to death on the cross. You die from suffocation because as your body hangs there, you don't have the strength to push up and take a breath and the rib cage presses against your lungs. They came, they wanted to expedite the death of these three men that were being crucified that day. And so uh, because the Sabbath started at 6 o'clock and they wanted the bodies down before the Sabbath started, and so they checked the two thieves. They were alive. They broke their legs so they couldn't push up and get a breath. But they came to Jesus, and he was dead. One of the soldiers rammed a spear into his side, probably piercing 
his heart or his pericardium sac. Jesus was dead. He was taken down by two Jewish rulers, actually, who came to believe in him, and they put him in a borrowed tomb and laid him to rest there, wrapped him in clothes. He was dead. Now, I know throughout the centuries, people have said, well, Jesus didn't really die. He was beaten badly, yes, but he didn't really die. And that would explain the resurrection in the cool air of the tomb. He just, he just came back to life and he stepped out. There was a, a great radio preacher uh, several years ago, back in the 60s and 70s. His name was J. Vernon McGee. Some may have heard McGee preach. McGee received a letter from a lady. She said, our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? McGee, in his humorous way, wrote the lady a letter back. Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip, nail him to a cross, hang him in the hot sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, see what happens. Jesus was dead, folks. He died on that cross. He went into the grave. But the grave was found empty. You know, it was prophesied that this would happen. It was prophesied that he would die. We looked last week at, at uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before it actually happened. It was prophesied that Jesus would have to suffer, that he would die. But it was also prophesied that he would raise back to life. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, it said. Jesus did come back to life. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, it says, God will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will he let your faithful one see decay. Jesus was not going to die. The apostle Peter and the apostle Paul, in their preaching and teaching, both quoted that psalm, saying that Jesus, uh, it was prophesied that he would rise from the dead. Jesus himself said in Luke 9, 22, that he must suffer, many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Both Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel record that Jesus said he would rise again even though he were put to death. Now I know that just because people say it doesn't make it true. I mean just because somebody says something well we don't necessarily have to believe it. But what about Jesus? It was prophesied that this would happen. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were all uh, pointing to a Messiah, a Savior that would come, that were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Where it would be from, he would be born of a virgin, that he would die, that he would suffer, that he would be mocked, that all the things that happened to Jesus came true. They were all prophesied years before it ever happened. So why not this? Why not a resurrection? I believe it is possible. In fact, in Genesis, if Genesis 1-1 is true, 
then anything is possible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the indication is that He made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. If He can do that, well, raising Jesus from the dead would be child's play. So it's possible. Let's read on in the text of Luke, verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But the apostles did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. I want to tell you now, not only is the resurrection possible, but I believe that it's probable. The resurrection is probable. I do understand how the apostles would not believe that he had resurrected at first. But after you begin to look into what happened, you have to scratch your head and say, you know, it's probably something that happened. I mean, they saw Jesus beaten. They saw Jesus nailed to the cross. They saw him die. They saw the, the spear run through his side. They saw him taken and laid in a tomb. But then they found the tomb empty. They found that Jesus had come back to life. It says here in the text that, G that Peter ran to the tomb. If you read the Gospel of John, it also says that John ran to the tomb with Peter. And they both went inside, and they were amazed at what they saw. Uh, Luke's gospel doesn't make it clear. It just says they saw the strips of linen lying there uh, by themselves. John's gospel goes into a little more detail and says that they were still folded up. William Barclay is a, a famous commentator on the Bible. And Barclay says this, Peter was only amazed at the empty tomb, but the things that began to happen in John's mind if someone had removed Jesus' body, if the tomb robbers had been at work, why should they leave the grave closed? Who wants to pick up a bloody dead body? Then something else struck him. The grave clothes were not disheveled and disarranged. They were lying there still in their folds. That's what the Greek means. The clothes for the body, where the body had been, the the, the cloth where the head had lain, the whole point of the description is that the grave clothes did not look as if they had been taken off. They were lying there in their regular folds as if the body of Jesus had simply evaporated out of them. The sight suddenly penetrated John's mind. He realized what had happened, and he believed. It was not what he read in Scripture that convinced him that Jesus had risen. It was what he saw with his own eyes. It was as though the grave clothes had just sunk down as Jesus' body was resurrected back to life. And he stepped out of the grave that day. Jesus had done a lot of things. He'd done a lot of miracles. 
He'd done a lot of teaching. He taught, they said, as one who had authority like no one they had ever heard teach before. And think about the miracles. Why do you think so many people followed Jesus? Because he was a good public speaker? Come on. It's because of the miracles. They heard the words. You think about what Jesus did. He healed all kinds of people. People possessed by evil spirits. People that were blind, he gave sight. People that were deaf, he gave the ability to hear again. People that were lame were able to walk. People that had leprosy, a terrible skin disease, were cured and their skin was cleared. And what about other things? Jesus had power over nature. He calmed storms. He fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. He, he, he did miraculous things. He raised different people back to life who had died. A man named Jairus was a, a synagogue ruler, and he raised his son back to life. There was a, a widow in a place called Nain, and he raised her son back to life. And what about his friend Lazarus? We're told in the Scripture, Lazarus was four days in the grave. The people said, oh, don't open that grave. It's going to stink in there. And Jesus opened the grave and said, come out. And Lazarus stepped out of the grave. And if he could raise them, well, why not himself? Why could not, not work? You know, there were so many people following him before his death. And it makes sense that they would because of the things that he did. And i got to tell you, that tomb was empty. Matthew 27 and 28, if you go read that, it tells us that the tomb was sealed. They were afraid, the officials were afraid that somebody was going to steal the body and say that he had resurrected from the dead. So what do they do? They put that heavy stone in front that would have taken a couple of men to move, and then they poured hot wax on it to seal it so that you, could, you, you couldn't move the stone, take the body and roll it back as if, as, as, as if he had risen. But when they came, the, the guards, an angel came, they said, and there was a violent earthquake, and the, the guards fell down as though they were dead. And they went and reported what happened to the officials. And the officials said, you got to lie. And they paid them money to lie and say that the disciples came and stole the body. I tell you, if you look into the evidence, it racks up and you begin to see that this is a true story, that Jesus did step out of the grave. It's not just possible, it's probable that it really happened. And more than that, if we move on in the story here in Luke, it says that two of the disciples went on a little trip from Jerusalem. They went over to a place called Emmaus. And there on Emmaus, on the road there, they were talking about the things that had happened, the empty tomb. And a man walks up to them. They don't recognize who it is, but it's actually Jesus that walked up to them. The text tells us that he had, he had made it so they couldn't recognize who he was. And he asked them, what were they talking about? And they said, huh. basically they said, what, have you had your head in the sand? Do you not know about the things that happened in Jerusalem? about this man Jesus who was a prophet. He was a great leader. He worked miracles. He did all these things. And we thought he was going to be the savior of our nation. But the Jewish officials went against him. 
They had him crucified, and he was buried. But this morning, some of the women that were with us came from the tomb and said, we found it empty, and we went and checked it out, and sure enough, it was empty, and we're puzzled. And it's all the buzz in Jerusalem. Then Jesus said to him this, verse 25, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus went through the whole Old Testament and showed them all those prophecies about him that had come true, and that he was alive again, and that it had been foretold that he would. So I say to you, not only is the resurrection possible, and not only is it probable, but the resurrection is believable. For me, it's a number of things. There's a lot of evidence toward it. One thing is the number of Jews that became believers. Fifty days after Jesus was crucified was another Jewish holiday. It was called Pentecost. It was on that day that the Lord filled the apostles with his spirit and they began to preach in the streets of Jerusalem. They started the church that day, and 3,000 people came to know Christ and were baptized. And the church kept growing. It kept moving forward. The ministry was powerful. Over in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. A short time after that, Paul says in Acts 21, thousands of Jews had believed. You know, so many of the Jewish people became Christians because they believed that Jesus had, become, had come back to life. These were people that were contemporaries of Jesus that lived during his time. I think another piece of evidence is the rapid growth of the church. Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire like wildfire. Within 20 years, pretty much everybody in the Roman Empire, that was pretty much the civilized world in that day, knew of Jesus and knew that there was a band of followers called Christians. It was pretty much a household name by that time. Put that in perspective, Apple computers started in 1976 but it wasn't until the mid-90s, about 20 years later, that it became a household word. Christianity spread as fast as the name Apple Computer did. And Christianity did it without cars, without planes, without computers, without cell phones, without the Internet. Shoot, they didn't even have a telegraph. And it spread like crazy. And what about the transformation of the culture? Even the culture we live in today is affected by Christianity. And many lives have been affected. Dr. Sharon James has written a book in, 1920, in 2021, just two years ago, about how Christianity transformed the world. In that book, she makes a case for the influence of Christianity for the good. How it influenced freedom, freedom of religion, justice, health care, education, sanctity of life, women's rights, the emancipation of slaves, the environment, and more. And Christianity has touched 
every aspect of our culture and had an influence on us. Even though not everybody believes in Christianity, it has made a powerful change in our culture and how we live. And what about the lives that have been affected by it? Probably everybody in here knows somebody who found Jesus and wound up changing their life for the good. I personally know people that have, were terrible alcoholics that were healed of that disease. I know people that were addicted to drugs that overcame their addiction and now they live good and productive lives. I've seen uh, people who were uh, murderers transformed into loving people. I've seen people whose marriages uh, were saved. People who were full of greed who now became generous. People who were just downright bad people that's lives were changed and they become upstanding citizens. Jesus changes people's lives. I suppose the most important piece of evidence though, especially for me, is the apostles themselves. This band of 12 guys, of course, Judas killed himself, but he was replaced. And that band were, were the closest to Jesus. This group of men were in a position to know that Jesus had been killed, that he was dead, that he was buried in a tomb. And they saw the empty tomb. They went inside of it. They saw the grave clothes laying there. They knew this was not a normal thing. Something amazing had happened. And then they met the resurrected Jesus. And after they met the resurrected Jesus, everything changed. Before they met Jesus resurrected, they had gone into hiding. They were afraid that the Romans were going to crucify them too for being his friends. And they had, they had gone to an upper room where they stayed. Eventually they went back to fishing, which was most of their jobs before they met Jesus. And Jesus met them on the shore one day, gave them a miraculous catch of fish, and he provided breakfast for them. Wouldn't it be neat to have a barbecue breakfast on the beach with Jesus? They saw him, and he restored them. And they went out, and they preached, and they teached, and they began to do miracles, and they started the church, and the church that has been going now for 20 centuries strong is still going and is still strong today. I like what Elton Trueblood said. Elton Trueblood is a Christian author. He wrote a book called A Place to Stand. And Trueblood says this, In my own life, I certainly began as a skeptic so far as the resurrection of Christ is concerned. I thought of the story as comparable to Greek mythology and accordingly carried out my doubt to the point of denial. I knew, of course, that the early Christians believed that Christ rose, but I was aware of the fact that many people in many ages have believed many things that are manifestly untrue. The first real change in my conclusion came when I began to consider seriously a particular kind of evidence, that of altered lives. Suddenly I saw that the primary evidence provided by the apostles is not what they said, but what they became. And what they became is men who went out and preached and started the church because they saw the resurrected Christ. The evidence is there if you look into it. We are not foolish to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. It's possible. It's probable. It is believable. 
And because of that, we have hope of eternal life. And that's our connection today. In Christ, our hope of eternity is alive. Jesus stepped out of the grave. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It is the foundation. Prophets predicted it. Jesus uh, foretold it. He lived it. The apostles preached it. And the church has stood on it for 2,000 years now. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And he was one who was in a position to know. Easter is all about the resurrection. I appreciate the song that our choir sang today. I heard about another choir years ago that sang a song about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. In that song, the women's part was, we'll have new bodies. The men's part was, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, you go back to this egg. The egg is the sign of life, of new life. This particular one comes with 16 of these eggs in it. They are good. How sweet they are. How sweet it is to think about the fact that you too can go to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. The amazing thing, and I know some of you are hoping I'm going to throw these out to the crowd, right? It's empty. Just like the tomb was empty. Jeanette has the eggs. You find her after the service, you might be lucky enough to get one. Jesus rose from the grave. And because of that, we, through faith in Him, have hope of eternity. Let's pray. God, we thank You today for Jesus and what He did for us and what He means to us. Lord, it's not a myth. There were men that witnessed it, men that told about it, men that gave their lives to die that the message might go on because they knew it was true. And they knew that we needed forgiveness through His sacrifice. And they knew that we would want this eternal life that we can all have through faith in Jesus. So we pray today humbly, coming before Him, recognizing it is the day when we speak the seven words that change the world. He is not here. He is risen. We thank you for that. In his name, we pray and praise the day. Amen.